That's it. That's um, welcome to episode number 15 of the Prodigy podcast. My name is Hassan, and today we have got uh, a strength and conditioning coach and a man of many talents, uh, Rob Nittman. Uh, Nittman, I did pronounce yeah. Say that right, yeah, you got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like knitting or like those horrible little things you get in your hair. That's it. <laughs> but far more pleasant on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I like to think so. We'll, we'll thank my, my Polish grandfather for the funny name. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, does that mean that you've got some uh, good? I mean, uh, I'm sure I'm sure you'll kind of delve into this, but everyone's a good athlete um and has the potential to be a good athlete but does that mean you have some like strong lifting genes in in your dna somewhere i think the the bit that's in my dna is is like just grafting genes there's something right. about my, my my granddad like just would even when he was retired and even when he was like 92 he'd still be up at five o'clock in the morning out in the garden like just you know it was just his thing wake up early work all day go to sleep and i think i've always been the same way and my dad as well relatively strong but like it's just one of those things, yeah. It's the, it's the graft. It's the graft. Yeah, absolutely. The Polish graft. I thank <laughs> you for that. It's worked out well. It has indeed. Um, so interestingly, uh, when uh, I was doing a little bit of research uh, on all the all the cool stuff you've done, one of the really interesting things is that you come from a rugby background. Am I right? Yeah. yeah that's um, right. And. We, you see it ever so often. We've got rugby players who've become MMA fighters and stuff like that. Um, but how was kind of, I mean, how, where did, was rugby your first sport or has it, or has it been, have you always kind of delved into lots of sports? I've done a little bit of everything. Rugby was, rugby was the first sport I really not cared about. Um, I started playing when I was seven. Um, my dad had played, but he, he never, he never pushed me to play the game. I was, uh, I was basically watching what was the Five Nations way back when. Shows how old I am. Um, we were watching the Five Nations, and I said to him, "Like this looks fun. Like can I go play?" And he took me down the rugby club the very next day, and I just never left. Um, I played a bit of football, a bit of cricket, did some athletics, and, and loads of other things. When you're growing up, as you do, you know, you play a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, but yeah, I carried on playing rugby up until like pretty much full on until I was 22. Didn't really do much else, and then. After uni, I kind of got a bit bored with it and started dabbling about in some other things. So I've done some strongman, I've done some Olympic weightlifting, and then then I started finding jiu-jitsu and sort of that's that's the passion now from a from a sport point of view. And so when you um, when you were kind of going transitioning through these sports, when was it? Was it in uh, up until that point where you did start doing the strongman stuff and started moving into kind of um, the, the powerlifting or strongman or kind of those, those areas of kind of weightlifting was it bef- uh, did you do anything before then that kind of or did you look at kind of you know conditioning as a, someone who does rugby or conditioning as someone who plays football and stuff like that yeah I think my first exposure to the gym I was like uh probably about 15 or 16 and a group of us who played rugby together I must have been 16 because we were at college um a group of us from college rugby team were basically you know, we were, we were told by a coach it'd be good for you to go and go and do some gym. There's a couple of places they'll, they'll, they're going to do us a deal on membership and whatever. So there was four or five of us who went down to this proper old school. I don't know if it still exists. It was called Reps in Worthing, and it was like spit and sawdust. Almost, I'd say ninety percent of the people in there were on roids. <laughs> 
like those type of places, like as much as they they could be quite terrible, they're actually they're actually a gold mine because all of those old boys who've been lifting for their entire life, like they see some young cretin like me walking, I'm doing things terribly. They're not afraid to tell you that you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And so it was actually like a really good experience, and then you know it just sort of stuck with me from there. Carried on training. I've really enjoyed lifting weights, probably because it was similar to a rugby environment because it was all of the lads together. Yeah. And we just sort of gave each other a bit of crap and, and all those kinds of things. So yeah, we, uh, we, I just, I just stuck with it and carried on training. Uh, I probably put too much emphasis on the athleticism side of things, probably spent too much time in the gym and, and never actually enough time getting good at any sports. <laughs> but like, like I was, I was always quite strong. I was, I was relatively quick and, and relatively fit, but nothing special. And I just thought that, I'd rely on that and turns out I just couldn't play rugby very well. So um, moral of the story, actually be good at your sport because otherwise <laughs> like being super strong isn't going to make up for it, I don't think. Athleticism will only get you so far, right? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like, It's good to have it as well as. like if you're, if you're super technical and talented at whatever sport you do, brilliant. But if you can't handle the, like, the, the physical rigours of the sport, then that's where the S&C comes in for me. And so like, but likewise on the flip side, if you're a wicked athlete, if you don't know what the bloody hell you're doing, you're going to be shown up by someone. And that's what happens to me three times a week down at Elements. So it's, yeah, I still get shown up every day. And so uh, kind of where you, you said you did a bit of strongman stuff. Um, is that something that you still enjoy to kind of dabble into in time to time? What? Because... Uh, it's kind of gone through this like big wave recently with the likes of kind of people like Eddie Hall and stuff like that, drawing people into the sport. Um, not giving it a second wind a few round. It's one of the oldest sports in the world, but yeah. kind of brought it to the forefront. Um, where, how much do you do? Do you kind of delve into that stuff now or still have a play around with it? Yeah. So I, I'm quite like, I try to be quite multidimensional in terms of like the type of, the type of training that I do. I, because I've been training for quite a while now, I get really bored really quickly, which is why I've bounced between different things like strongman for a couple of years, Olympic weightlifting for a couple of years and this and that. And now I'm basically at a point where I'm not trying to be the strongest bloke around. I'm not trying to be the fittest bloke around or the fastest. I just want to go in and continue to train because I enjoy doing it. So I'll yeah. basically do what I want to do on the day that I want to do it. So sometimes that might be heavy farmer's walks, yoke, like some really heavy sandbags that you can make look like an atlas stone or whatever, like that kind of stuff. Um, other days I'll do Olympic weightlifting because I like to like keep my hand in at it and, and still be able to do those movements because with the job, I, I like to think it's kind of a practice what you preach type thing. So if yeah. I think it, if you can't demonstrate something, you shouldn't necessarily be getting an athlete to be, to be doing it. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I just mix it up and, and try and keep it quite varied. I think everything has a place because every exercise is a tool you need the right tool for the job and sometimes you don't need a hammer you need something else and, and so that's why it's quite good for me to just mix it up and, and do something different every time i'm in the room and do you try and share those kind of maybe um uh, not so used tools if you will um with your athletes as well is it something that you like to share maybe things like uh, that people don't use all the time sandbags yokes or whether that be kind of i mean farmers walks has become a thing that people do more and more now so it's a bit more conventional yeah um, but yeah, do, kind of, do you kind of focus on use varying it for the athletes as well yeah 100 percent. so it's, it's difficult because 
a, a lot of people like you're restricted to what equipment people have at the gyms that they're signed up to. So if, if they happen to be at a gym which has all that kind of stuff, then awesome. But a lot of people now are paying you, you know, your, your ten or twenty pound a month to go to the gym, which is fine because they've got the majority of stuff. But they're not going to find a heavy sandbag. They're not going to find a, a pair of farmers' walk handles or any of that kind of stuff. So it's making do. The good thing nowadays is that like mainstream gyms have cottoned on to the fact that kettlebells are amazing and there's a lot of stuff you can do with a kettlebell. So I'm a massive, massive fan of loaded carries. Um, mm-hmm. So like starting off with the farmer's walk and how beneficial that is, like that to me, if, if you could only pick five exercises you're ever going to be able to use, like that would be one of them, 100%, because it's like one of the most bang for your buck exercises you can do. And then, so we do... Um, Pretty much all of my athletes would be able to attest to the fact they've probably got either a farmer's walk, a front carry walk, an overhead walk, or some like you know kind of weird concoction of the three, either with kettlebells, sandbags, plates, barbells, whatever they've got that they can basically lug around. Because yeah, being able to move with load through space, I think, is is absolutely massive, especially for combat sports. So um, let's delve into that because farmers walks interest me because um, I will attest to the fact that I don't know uh, a huge much of detail in terms of the the specifics bar kind of the strain that it puts on various parts of your body that I could, you know, the, the kind of focusing, you know, like controlling your core, things like your uh, working your grip, your forearms, I presume kind of uh, working your uh, your shoulders as well keeping them in position things like that is there kind of things that people don't realize that uh added benefits to um using loaded carries yeah so like you've you've covered off like the main points i think like one of the big things for me is you know the the general carryover like pick it's basically a deadlift at the start you've got to pick up something heavy from the floor Mm. start with a deadlift and then you've got to walk that deadlift for x amount of meters or yards or, or whatever you want to do or time and and that's obviously taxing on the grip. And then because it's taxing on the grip, it's, it's taxing on other areas of the body. So like you're talking about your, your trunk, your core, like every, pretty much every muscle when you're doing a farmer's walk is being used because there's constant tension. Because if you don't have constant tension, you're going to wobble around like a like wet piece of spaghetti. And that's no good for anybody. That's when you get hurt. Um, but one of the things for me, which people often don't think about, they'll use it as like a big, like a big strength builder or as part of a conditioning circuit. But, it's a really, really good injury prevention exercise because you're walking with weight and, and so it strengthens all the connective tissues around the joints. So things like ankles, knees, hips, um, and then all around, you know, your, your fingers, wrists, elbows, shoulders, all of that is being stressed uh, through movement whilst under load. So it, it can have a really, really good like strengthening property to those like ligaments and tendons and all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're brilliant. Like, when I was working in rugby, we used them all the time in, in pre-season just to get people generally strong, generally fit, and it helps to prevent injury. So, yeah, they're, they're wicked. They're a great exercise. And I guess um, it's, it's a way of strengthening, uh, especially those lower body regions, those connective tissues, without putting them under um, direct strain. So I guess you're because what you're doing essentially is because you're lifting, you know, you're using your trunk and your shoulders and your wrists and your grip to lift that weight, but you're not necessarily putting the weight directly onto your knees and your hips and areas that um, people can have major issues with when they are kind of, I don't know whether that be someone who struggles with squats or stuff like that or more leg focused um, techniques or drills. Yeah. yeah, they're brilliant. I mean, in terms of 
like what you said towards the end there, like with, with back squats, they can often cause a lot of problems just because like the direct loading of the spine. So you, when you've got a heavy barbell on, on the, on the back of your neck, like it, it can compress your spine and that can long-term lead to issues. Obviously not if you're doing it right and all that kind of stuff, if you're being really careful, but doing things like a, a farmer's walk can take that away. And generally with a farmer's walk, you're going to be doing it a bit lighter than what you would do with like a max deadlift. Yeah. So the general loading is a bit less and there's very little eccentric, eccentric stress. So like the, the soreness isn't going to be absolutely through the roof. Whereas you do a deadlift session and you know about it for like four days, you could do farmer's walks and, and within two days you're, you're back to normal. You're pretty good. Like they, they can beat you up a bit if you do them heavy enough, but they're not going to wreck you like a, they're not going to tax the nervous system the same way a deadlift does. And is that something that you, you like to kind of keep in mind when obviously uh, when it comes to things like strongman and powerlifting or Olympic lifting or anything like that, um, people obviously focus on, you know, the weight and uh, their PRs and things like that. But then when you're kind of using those tools as a, a way of improving performance, and obviously, you know, when it comes to what you're doing for the athletes, it's all about the performance. How um, how does that mindset change? Is it something that you have to kind of put into kind of your athletes as well? Is that, okay, it's like good to have goals, but we need to think about your performance instead of just what you're PRing in the gym? Yeah, it can be super challenging. Like with athletes have a certain mentality where, you know, they always want to be getting better and I completely understand it. And, you know, often more is better. So more weight, more reps, more whatever. Um, but ultimately it's like the weight you lift in the gym. It doesn't matter if, if, if it's not transferring across to your sport. Like if I'm, if it takes me six months to get somebody from like 150 kilo back squat, do a 200 kilo back squat a that'd be almost a miracle that'd be <laughs> but b like what difference is a 200 kilo back squat going to make compared to a 150 potentially not a lot like depending on the report and then how much work is that going to take and how fatigued are they going to be as a result of that so you know if that's going to have a detrimental effect to their performance either in training or or on like competition day and what's the point like to me it's about it's like S and C is not the sport, like unless you're a weightlifter, a strongman, a powerlifter, or I don't know, potentially some others where like like CrossFit, like doing S and C is not it's not the sport itself. It's part of it that, that can make it better. So like if yeah, if you get a, a PR and you, you hit a deadlift best, then great, wicked. But if that comes with the effect of you get injured the next time you go down and you're sparring then was it really worth it? No, not necessarily. So yeah, it's looking at that six month process. Like we might not make a, a PR within three months or four months, but if we look at six to 12 months, then then that's where we're looking at because it's a, a long-term process where they can make incremental steady progress. And that will then have a longer effect on their performance and less likely to re- like to, to cause injury in the meantime. So yeah, it's, it's just a mindset thing with a lot of them. And I think, uh, something actually that I, I'd be interested to get your view on is uh, people talk about kind of where, you know, if you're, for example, if you're doing kind of classic five by five um, and you get to that kind of fourth rep and you're struggling. And so you try and push out and the last one and uh, something that um, I've heard a lot of people start to advise is actually leave one in the bank 
and leave one and it will and in terms of injury injury prevention to go back to and kind of long-term goals to go back to what you mentioned knowing the being aware that you should be leaving one in the tank to both stop yourself getting hurt and also just to make sure that you are fresh for the next session or kind of you're not kind of walking in really sore after the next session yeah it's massive and it's a it's a really easy way of of getting people to control the amount that they're doing so like a lot of people talk about it as like a, a reps in and reps in reserve so like i want you to work as hard as you can but making sure that by the time you finish you, you reckon you could do two or three more we mm-hmm. reckon you could do one more and it's a really good way of controlling because could people understand that better than they understand potentially saying like i want you to work to an effort that's seven out of ten because they're like well I, I don't know, I'll, I'll load this on, and then all of a sudden it's a 10 out of 10. Like, you know, like sometimes they don't have that understanding, whereas if you say, I want you to stop when you think you've maybe got one good one left, and they, they understand. And, yeah, it's, it's exactly that. It's knowing that what is grinding through that one last horrible rep when your face turns bright red and you're almost making a fool of yourself in the gym because you're going to make some funny noises from your rear end. And, like, it's it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Like when you're when you're not competing, if it's not the sport, it's just not. There's no. Yeah. Point. What does it translate back to? Like, what what is the benefit of you putting in that one last rep? It's not going to stop you getting choked out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, when the, from the combat sports point of view, it literally makes no difference. All it's going to do is knock you out for like two or three days because of the the nervous system stress and potentially cause you injury as a result of that. Like either at, during that rep or in one of your subsequent training sessions so like yeah ultimately leave that rep in the tank leave your ego and just be like no i'll hit it next week like it's not you know this is not the end of the world like nobody ultimately nobody cares how much you lift unless you're getting paid to do it so stop being an ego <laughs> if people if people are asking you that whilst they're uh, whilst you're rolling around on the floor with them uh, at jits then they're obviously, they're either way too relaxed or they've got other goals in mind. Yeah, it's like yeah. Well, there's that old thing, isn't there? Where if somebody calls, if somebody says you're really strong at jujitsu, it's like <laughs> it, it's it's a knock. Like you know, you shouldn't. They're like, oh yeah, you're really strong. It's like, well, that supposedly means I'm not technical and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah great. But actually, I, I kind of take pride in it. But yeah, nobody ever says, like, oh, that takedown was great. Like, how much do you squat? Two hundred. It's like. Who, like, <laughs> who really gives a I'd shit? I'd be like, yeah, mate, get out. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting, actually, as you touched on takedowns, the uh, kind of, we you can kind of split the avenue. Obviously, BJJ, you know, depending on where you train as well on how much focus there is on the wrestling aspect of kind of grappling. But there is that kind of, uh, a friend of mine who uh, wrestles, he was making a point to someone the other day that, Although, yes, he can lift a significant amount of weight, it's not that that's to his benefit in wrestling. It's actually his explosiveness that is what produces the results or what what makes the difference when it comes to competing in wrestling. So when you kind of look at that, how does that fall into when it comes to strength or or conditioning work to a degree as well? Because obviously you need the fitness to support you exploding that many times but how do you how do you balance something between kind of maybe slow kind of your kind of standard squats uh carries things like that to more explosive training 
I think that there's there's a multitude of different ways you can do it. Um, and ultimately, again, it's finding the best way for the person that you're working with. But with a lot of the guys um, that I work with, something we'll do is we'll, we'll either incorporate like jumps and throws as part of their warm-up. So that'll be like the final thing they do before they go into their heavy, heavy compound movement. Um, and that could be like broad jumps, box jumps, a combination of the two. It could be med ball throws, med ball slams, like explosive kettlebell swings, all that kind of stuff. Something that's really um, forcing violent triple extension of the hips, knees, and ankles, because like, that's what you're looking for essentially is being able to produce a high amount of force in a, in a really like, small amount of time. And then go into your heavy compound movements and, and working in that strength rep range where you're looking at one to five um, and always looking to be explosive on the positive side of the movement. So if you're talking about a squat, you know, control your way down but really drive aggressively out of the bottom. Because if even if you're not actually moving that quickly, the intent to move quickly can can have like a massive carryover to, to your training effect. Mm-hmm. And then as you get closer towards competition and closer towards fights, so guys like um, I work with, with a couple of boxers and a couple of MMA guys, and, and they what I'll do with them is in like the final four weeks leading into fight week, we'll do – um, like contrast sets so will go from a really heavy compound movement like a back squat or a box squat or a trap bar deadlift and as soon as they've completed their two three four reps they step out and they go straight into a, an explosive movement mm-hmm. but then they're having to produce high amounts of force under fatigue and that's where you have that long-term carryover which can be great for for guys like wrestlers or people who love to shoot a double um, and then you can incorporate it into into your um your conditioning as well so something I do with the jiu-jitsu guys is if they're doing six minute rounds as their competition rounds, we'll do the start of every 30 seconds, a big heavy duty power movement, like picking up a massive sandbag, throwing it over your shoulder or like a jumping series or another throw. And then fill the remaining 30 seconds with constant work on like an assault bike or skipping or shadow boxing or whatever. And then repeat that as soon as it hits that 30 seconds, jump off, throw the heavy thing, get back on, keep working. 30 seconds, jump off, throw the heavy thing. Because then they're having to repeatedly do something big and explosive whilst they're knackered. And that like has a huge, huge carryover. Um, and it's so simple and effective. And it's not it's not something I made up by any means. It's just something that, you know, everything's stolen these days. And I just stole it from somebody who knows what, the, what they're going on about. <laughs> it's, it's happened to work well for me and my guys. So, yeah. I think uh, people who are original, if you will, when it comes to kind of SNC is usually some sort of electro, you'll, you'll see it. It's usually far more technological based than it is like a particular method, if you will. Yeah, I think people are too obsessed with trying to find new things. Like the old stuff works for a reason, do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a reason why we still call the squat like the king of the lifts because it works. And there's a reason why, you know, using using heart rate monitors for your conditioning is a reason why people do it because it works you know it's not it doesn't have to be rocket science like yeah it's cool if you can find something wicked and new like you know if you're using like muscle stimulation as part of a squat and and all this kind of stuff it's brilliant but is everybody going to have access to it no is it a load of faff yes and 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 is it going to have like x amount more carryover like ultimately who knows why not just stick with the basics do them really well and then play with the funky stuff as and when you get a good opportunity yeah. to. It's difference between going up in like tens and then uh, if I uh, use the kind of 
uh, analogy of like Formula One cars, if you will, is the difference between uh, jumping 10 miles an hour or adding like a 0.1 second. It's like realistically do the 10s. And then if you got time, add the little bits, if you will. Yeah, 100%. It's like, um, it's the old analogy, isn't it? Like you've got a, you've got like a vase, a glass vase. You've got pebbles, rocks, and sand. Which one are you going to put in first? You start with your rocks because they take up the most space. Then you fill a little bit of extra space with the pebbles, which is your small funky stuff like your your, your single limb and your, your dumbbell benches and your, your carries. And then you fill the final bits with the sand. And that's the those are the really fine details that if you filled it all with that, you'd never fit in the big stuff. Yeah. And like the big stuff is the stuff that works. Like it, again, it, there's a reason it stood the test of time and, and people are too, it's ultimately a lot of the time it's not sexy, you know, and everybody on Instagram these days wants to be doing the cool, sexy stuff that's going to get them a load of followers. But long term, like those people aren't necessarily going to see results if they're not doing the stuff that works. So, um, yeah, stop trying to, stop trying to do, I don't know, one-legged squats on an upturned bofu ball with a barbell above your head or something like just actually squat actually deadlift push a heavy sled and i'm sure you'll be fine i think that's something that people should have more of in gyms as well is sleds it's it's something that um whenever uh i used to like be signed up to pure gym and then i'd be looking at and i remember just popping into one on the way to someone's house and i was like oh my god this one has a sled i was like this is bullshit i was like why doesn't mine have a sled like it this one i don't know what it was i think it was near uh, it was like near the university of east london somewhere but it had like sleds and assault bikes and i was like this is bullshit like this should be in every gym no yeah i mean they're they are one of the most versatile pieces of kit again and that's that's what i'm all about is a piece of kit that doesn't just have one one sole purpose because a like those types of piece of kit they cost an absolute fortune and like they're not they're not versatile so what's the point like um yeah with a sled you, you've not only got like a heavy push you can drag it you can do like dynamic pushes for your upper body you can do dynamic pulls for your upper body and if you're doing a really really heavy push or a really really heavy drag like there, again there's no eccentric stress so you could put yeah. you could push 400 kilos on a sled and the next day you're like fresh as a daisy and, and if you think if you loaded up 400 kilos on a back squat and even just walked it out, you'd be in bits the next day. So, yeah, I don't know why people don't have them because they're pretty cheap. You can pick up a sled for like less than a couple hundred quid. Yeah. Um, although, as saying that, a lot of the time you can find them on Facebook Marketplace now because people have bought them during <laughs> lockdown. So if anybody wants one, go on Facebook Marketplace and people are selling all sorts and you'll probably find a sled in there somewhere. Yeah, the amount of kit that must be selling right now. Like we went from having having to pay like sixty quid for like the lightest kettlebell to now everyone's trying to get rid of kit properly. Yeah, I, I can't talk about. It. I did the exact same thing. To be fair, like I was quite fortunate at the start of lockdown. My work let me borrow one pair of kettlebells, and I already had like a load of bands and a load of random grip stuff, and so I just started playing about with that. And then, um, and then I bought a load more kettlebells, so I've got a full a full set of singles now from, from eight up to 32. So I can, you know, if I go out in my garden when it's not raining, um, I've got a few sandbags and a few kettlebells. And I can basically do whatever the hell I want, but I picked up loads of other stuff and I was like, Oh, I, I don't really need this anymore. I've got the kettlebells now that they're all here. So I just sold it all again. I was the exact same as everybody else. <laughs> is there, is that one thing that everyone should have in their house is a kettlebell? I think just one solitary kettlebell. You can do so much work. 
you can do like so so much work you can swing it squat it press it row it do all kinds of other bits and, and again like it takes coordination it takes a bit of strength you can get your heart rate up and i think it just ticks all the boxes for something that's like 50 quid you know and then gradually you can add more if you get stronger or just add a resistance band to it and, and probably yeah. involved and, and the resistance bands are tenor so you know you buy a few of those you've got a home gym made um, but yeah, kettlebell. I think I think everybody in the world should have a kettlebell in their in their house. Like they're so versatile. And I mean, bar. I think there's more. You're more likely to uh, damage what's around you than yourself, anyway. So in terms of kind of injury prevention, as long as you're not near a nice plate glass window or something like that, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, hundred percent. My my missus did get a bit scared when I was swinging it facing our bathroom window during the lockdown, but um, no, it, I didn't break anything. I don't think. So it was okay. But yeah, like you're not going to do any harm to anything around you. Whereas you've got a great big lumbering barbell. All it takes is for you, for you to slip and have to ditch it off your back. And there goes your floorboards, you know? Yeah, exactly. You drop a 16 kilo kettlebell and you're fine. Just as long as you haven't got a cat underneath your feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's kind of go back to BJJ. So how first off just how how did you kind of get drawn into the this sport what what drew you to the sport was it someone who did introduce introduce you was it mma how did you get there so my first introduction to it um when i left university i was i was working voluntarily trying to find a job in snc and so to to pay my way i was working on the doors um up in worcester at the time and yeah that's one of those stories you hear all the time oh yeah i used to work the doors and I was very fortunate the place I worked we never really had any problems it was like probably the easiest job I've ever worked <laughs> um but just unsociable hours but there was there was a team of us there and, and one of the guys used to fight um like no holds barred um like really really old school like pre pre gloves pre rules the only rules were like no biting no kicks to the groin and that was about it and so he used to organize on a Saturday morning we'd go and just do some like literally self-defense so it was they'd make it into like work specific situations so you know you'd be stood in the middle of the mats and somebody would come up and grab you around the back and you've got to like defend yourself and then you've got to get them into a position where you're pretending to take them out of the room and it started with that and then like we kind of just got bored of doing the specific situations and just went back to you know sparring essentially yeah then when i left that job um and moved into my internship. I, I, I lost out of grappling for a while. Like I, I just sort of stopped doing it. Didn't really think anything of it. It was kind of like, oh yeah, if I, if I ever get the opportunity, cool, but it wasn't on my priority list. And then I was working for a gym down here, um, underground gym and, uh, Tolly Plustard from icon team started coaching BJJ classes there. And because I was working for the gym, we got free unlimited membership. And I was like, oh, well, I've got Monday nights free. Let's, let's give it another crack. So I started going back and just immediately fell back in love with it. Like, I was like, why did I ever stop? You know, it's so much fun. It's so physically demanding. And it's a completely different type of, of training to anything else. And and then fast forward a bit, I joined Elements um, two years ago under Yusuf Nabi. And I, I haven't left. I've been going there two, three times a week, every week for the past two years. And um, barring some injuries but yeah I just I, I think it's just one of those things again similar to having a kettlebell in your house I think everybody should be exposed to some form of grappling at some point in their life because I think it's a I think it's a really really good life tool and in terms of kind of how you then uh how you as a kind of coach 
um, support our BJJ athletes. Was it something that, is it something that you feel you have to have practiced in some form or another? Any coach has to have practiced in some form or another, especially maybe with BJJ, kind of complexity of the, uh, the different needs of the the needs of the athlete they have yeah. to ex- have experienced it to understand what then they need to support i think yes and no i think like no because i'll get this one out of the way early because I'll, I'll probably talk more about the yes um but the no ultimately the science is the science and so yeah. like if you want to get somebody fitter faster stronger there are plenty of books out there and research papers to tell you how to do that but as you're talking about with the yes side of things, like all the intricacies, like they don't, they wouldn't necessarily know like the mechanical movements that, that are involved with shooting a takedown or trying to squeeze the life out of somebody when you've got them locked in a triangle or like, what do I need to do if somebody's in my mouth, like, and I'm on bottom, like what, what movement patterns is that? Like is doing a really heavy hip thrust going to carry over? Like not necessarily because you like, you know, it's not just lift this thing up. It's not as simple as that. Yeah, and then what happens when somebody's like you know covering your mouth and you can't breathe, and then how does that all transfer? And it's you know, uh, it's I think it is important to have done it at least a little bit if you're going to be working in it, and um, just particularly with the combat sports because it's that yeah, there's so many intricacies, so many little small complications that you just wouldn't know unless you've been in that situation yourself. And I guess. You know, you 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 touched on it already. Like the old stuff works. Like it's always it's always worked, and that's why people still keep doing it. Like at the end of the day, if you want to, you know, have stronger legs, if you will. I know that is such a uh, a simple way of putting it. But if you want to have a stronger lower body, then there are there are very simple answers to that. Yeah. So how much how much do do you think? Because what you find is people. I mean, you just need as a kind of BJJ person who might be interested in getting stronger for BJJ. If you Google uh, strength for BJJ, suddenly it's like so sport. People have like created such sports for specific things. I've seen people try and imitate arm drags using various kinds of machines and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, an arm drag is pretty much a row of some kind. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But like how much, uh, how much is there in sports specific? Uh, sports specific training yeah i mean it's one of those i I get it but it's also kind of a bugbear like yeah it kind of people take it too far i think do you know what i mean like ultimately it goes back to one of the things in our like right at the start of this conversation about snc it's a tool it's not the gym isn't the sport so stop trying to like i don't know stop trying to like force an arm bar on a barbell like, who cares? Like it, a, you're going to look like an absolute bell in in the gym, and people are going to think you're an idiot. But like, it's not going to like it's not necessarily going to transfer over. So if you can generally make the muscle group stronger, then that's going to have the first and highest amount of carryover. So you know, yeah, in the, in the fundamental stages, like when somebody first starts working with me, I say to them like, it, it's going to be pretty basic for a bit because I need to figure out what you can do, and, and all we're looking to do is to bring up your base level of strength, your base level of fitness and all that kind of stuff. And then you can get more niche with it. If they're a high level athlete who's been doing it for forever, they've been squatting, they've been deadlifting, they've been doing all this stuff. Then yeah, you can start to play about with it. But about the most specific I ever really get is using like a split squat variation. 
which might have some carryover to a takedown. But yeah. like that's that, and like squeezing the death out of a sandbag, like with with a gable grip across your chest. Those are probably the two things that actually look like any kind of grappling that I do, um, because I think you can get better results by just yeah building the machine and not and not trying to faff about with the with the intricacies. And uh, I mean, being the resident uh, coach uh, elements and kind of and your previous gym do you find that people i mean i've definitely done it with people that i've trained with is suddenly you become the fountain of knowledge if you will and people are coming to you to make sure their uh, technique is on point and stuff yeah. like that everybody will be like oh what do you think like uh i've been doing this program what do you think of this program <laughs> or should i be intermittent fasting or should i be like what's the what's the truth about carbs and and you're like I'm happy to have these conversations because ultimately I, I quite like just educating people on things. Like it's not the end of the world, but uh, you know, people start asking, Oh, like what should my program look like? And all this, Oh yeah, go to my website. You can, you can find my training. And like, you know, like sometimes you get to a point where I'm giving you all this information. It is actually my job mate. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations. I have them all the time. But thankfully, a lot of the other people are, are, are relatively well educated because of the, the people who train at Elements. So, like, you had Dom on a few weeks ago, and, and you know, Dom does a really good training system, and now he's got to a point where he looks after it himself because he knows what he needs. Yeah, that's the ideal situation. Is is you have a few athletes who you give a bit of education to, and then hopefully, you know, a couple of years down the line, that they're no longer with you because they can do it themselves. Like, you shouldn't have to baby an athlete the entire way. Um, but it is quite fun being the, you know, the the one people come to with with questions. But there's there's plenty of other trainers who who work at, at Elements as well. There's other PTs and there's other S and C coaches and all that kind of stuff. And and everybody's got their own different thought processes. So sometimes people come to you and say, like, oh, what are your thoughts on this? Because so and so said, and you're like, yeah, cool. Like if if you want to if you want to do that, then happy days. But my opinion would be X, and then you just cause problems. So sometimes it's going <laughs> up. <laughs> it's better to go all oh, coaches coaches calling me yeah, i need to yeah. go yeah i've got to go i've got to go um i've got to go pick up the wife or something i don't know <laughs> so um in terms of differentiation between coaches something i wanted to ask you is i'm finding a lot of coaches are similar in the uk in terms of there's a lot of focus on longevity of athletes um especially in the kind of you're growing this kind of uh new age of bjj athletes in the uk kind of your purples brown and black belts yep. who are competing in whether they be kind of uk or international shows um but they're looking at kind of long-term uh focus on athletes building strength and making sure that these are competitors who are likely to compete all year that we don't have off season on seasons and off seasons yeah it is just you know if there's a bjj comp they're going to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, so is, do you focus on log, uh, longevity as well? Or do you kind of, I mean, in this period where not many people are competing, is it something that you're trying to kind of really, uh, implore people to do is kind of look at the long-term benefits, long-term plans, if you will. Yeah, massively, massively. And that's why, um, I, I took out, I don't work with people for just a four week block anymore. So I used to sell like a, it was a four week online coaching package. And then if you bought a three month one, instead it was cheaper. If you bought a six, it was cheaper. I only offer a three month one now. And it's for that exact reason. Like you can't make 
everlasting changes within a four-week process. And I, and I don't think you, you, you can't within a 12-week either, but within a 12-week, you get to know the athlete and you get to understand their needs and their demands. And it's been absolutely massive. So a lot of the guys I've been, I started working with during this lockdown period, I've said to them, like, look, your first four weeks is going to be pretty simple and basic. It might be a bit boring in all honesty because you've, you've not been training for eight, 12 weeks. You've not been in a gym for potentially even longer and you've not had any access to anything that isn't a push-up or a bodyweight squat. So we're not going to go in and we're going to start lifting heavy again. We're going to take four weeks to build our way back in. Then the next four weeks will be a little bit higher and then we'll, and then we'll crack back on because you've got, to, you've got to look at the long-term picture. It's no good going at it hammer and tongs for one year if the following year everything breaks and they can never compete again like you've done nobody any good if they can it's far more important for me if you've got somebody like like a like Kate Batchick I, I work with um regularly now and she she competes at every given opportunity she's like she's like a bloody banshee she <laughs> just wants to compete 24-7 wants to train 24-7 so like the education with her is actually you need to take a step back because you, you're training too much and then with the competitions like you can't push her really hard all the time because on three days notice she could be fighting so with her it's very much a really really long-term approach being like yeah within two years we'll have got a bit stronger but don't panic if you don't see the numbers going up because yeah. the idea is we want you to be able to represent the gym, you know, elements and check mat and, and whoever, all of our sponsors and VHTS and all that stuff. Like we want you to be able to represent those people because that's how hopefully you're going to make a living. So what good is it bashing you about in the gym for three weeks if then you can't turn up and fight, you know? So yeah, looking at that long-term process, especially within combat sports because of the amount of injuries there are, um, it's, it's got to be the way. Otherwise I just think, you're doing the athlete a disservice by, by focusing on the here and now too much. Yeah. I guess it is a, it, it maybe does benefit you slightly if uh, you do know, know when the next competition is, but unfortunately, especially with people who fight on invitational shows, if there's a slot, they're taking it. So it, it has its perks and it's uh, downfalls, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. Like with the, with the boxers and the MMA guys, like they, they normally get a good amount of warning. Like the boxers, not necessarily so much. Sometimes it can be like a couple of weeks, but they're always in shape. Boxers are, are psychopaths. They just <laughs> train far, far too much. There's something wrong with them. But our MMA guys always get a good amount of warning and, and, and sort of your, your competitive, but not like uber competitive jiu-jitsu guys. Like they might sign up to a to an IBJJF or whatever with like six weeks notice and you're like, okay, cool. We can, we can work around that. But yeah, some of the others who at the drop of the hat could be competing in anything at any time. Yeah. If you're, if you're halfway through a cycle and you're like, Oh, well, you're going to, you're going to screw up my entire program. Like who cares? Like just like, you've just got to adapt on the fly. So yeah, looking at that long-term process and, and not having them constantly fatigued from training is, is going to be far more important. Cool. Well, um, obviously, you know, there are plenty of, different views and plenty of different uh views on strength and conditioning for bjj and ma and other sports is there something that you feel that um you do slightly differently or kind of whether you focus on certain things that maybe other people don't put too much focus on um it's probably a terrible answer but honestly no like yeah. i don't think you know i'm i'm a i'm a specialist generalist 
You know, I'm not a, I'm not really, really awesome at coaching the strength lifts. I can do it. I can do it to a very competent level, but I'm not a world beat. I'm not going to turn up. I'm not going to create a powerlifting world record holder or anything like that. Likewise with the, with the conditioning side of it and the injury prevention, like I can, we tick all the boxes and we do it in a way that's progressive. Um, I like to think probably my biggest selling point is just the fact that I really try and get to know the person as an individual. Like, you know, trying to send as regular feedback as I can and trying to get that feedback back from them. It's not just like a one-term service being like, oh, yeah, you've paid for 12 weeks, wicked, I'll speak to you in 12 weeks. Like, I'll have some athletes who do that. They won't speak to me in the four-week period between when I make updates. And you're like, I don't know if things are going well, if they're going badly. So I try and have a really, really proactive approach with being a good communicator because, yeah, the more you know. So, like, take, take Violet. For, for example, like Violet um, has like an injury history and some, some days she could be having like a cracking day and two days later she could be having, you know, loads of problems. So if I'm not being a good communicator and being able to respond to her comments and stuff like that quickly, I can't adjust on the fly and make things actually work for her and that's where mm-hmm. an injury could happen because she doesn't have the guidance to know whether to, to hold back or push on. And so that's, yeah, that's probably the area that, I'd like to think I'm quite hot on. Um, but then there's plenty of other coaches who say the exact same thing. So, <laughs> And I think, well, I think also uh, the fact that you said you're a specialist generalist also leans itself towards combat sports in some ways. Yeah. Because you can't be a specialist boxing strength and conditioning coach because really there's no such thing. Yeah. Same with any combat sport. This is a, you can't be a specialist wrestling or especially reg- BJJ strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. And I mean, if you were, you probably wouldn't make a lot, but you probably wouldn't do that great because yeah. it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's yeah. just not, not viable. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's, yeah, it's interesting. People are like, Oh yeah, I only work with combat sports athletes. It's like wicked, like great. But like how many of them are you actually working with then? Like, you know, you yeah. look at, Obviously, some people have done really well out of it. You look in America and you've got guys like Phil DeRue who are killing it, like training every like every almost world champion under the sun. And and it's like, yeah, great, but we don't have that same like, ethos over here. It's, it's different in the UK. And, you know, boxers, boxers are constantly struggling. They can't afford to pay you. So if you're going to work with them, like um, it, it's kind of on you to be able to do that. Like They can't support themselves. Um and yeah, if you're going to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a wicked speed coach, like yeah, great, but none of these people run a hundred meters. Like, yeah. what transfers are going to have? Or like, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really good at the power lifts. Yeah, great, but they're not doing a powerlifting competition. They're going in there for six minutes, and somebody's trying to rip their head off. Like, it's not the same thing. So yeah, it's being able to apply all those different principles of, of strength and power and speed and, and endurance into a way that makes sense for the sport. And so yeah, if you, if you don't know like the general stuff you're on struggle street. I think. I like that. I like that. Um, oh, on a different topic, let's talk about doping. Oh, cause yeah. Cause one of the things I noticed, which is not something that you see, um, on many people's resumes, uh, or very often that I see anyway, um, is you, you're involved in anti-doping, right? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a UK AD advisor. Um, it's admittedly it's, it's nothing special anybody can go and do that course and it's free uh, it just means you've got a little bit more background information about what the anti-doping process looks like or the doping process looks like and, and how to avoid it essentially yeah but yeah let's, let's go for it 
So that means that, well, first of all, that means that you're going to tell me anyone who's doping in BJJ and MMA, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but, they're all they're all clean. I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> um, King Gordon and Andre, they're they're fine. They're all good. Impossible, right? I I I I, I hold anyone to suggest anything otherwise. Yeah, they're 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 natty, bro. They're all natty. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? Yeah. Um, but kind of, I mean, how much? I guess because you've you've had your hands at various ages, obviously, on multiple sports. But kind of, do you think that as we see the growth of things like BJJ and MMA is already kind of, we've got the uh, Nowitzkis of uh, MMA, but um, as the growth of BJJ happens, do you think we're going to see more and more kind of involvement when it comes to things like uh, doping? I mean, in some, I know... If I remember correctly, I can't remember if it was last this year or last year. It would have been last year. Read that theoretically you can be tested, I think, in some BJJ comps, but whether that happens or not is much to be desired. Yeah, so it's well, it's all a bit complex, isn't it? Because like A, the the, the governing body of the sport has to like sign an agreement with it with an anti-doping body. So like what the what the UFC have done with USADA, like they agreed a contract with USADA to test all their athletes all year round. And that's how we have the Don, John Jones situation. Um, but like within the UK or, or like with, within uh, jujitsu, sorry, like you'd have to have, you know, your IBJJFs of the world sign what can be a really, really expensive contract with one of those companies. Like it's not cheap to perform doping, uh, to perform doping tests. Um, and, and so, and then how does that protocol look? Is are you only testing the top three? Are you only testing like the winner? Are you only testing uh, are you testing everybody that turns up? Like, are you testing them anyone yeah. in competition? Are you testing them out of competition? Because like there's and that's where it all, all goes fuzzy. Like in in the Olympics, people all you know, if they know they're not gonna get tested during the time between competitions. You've got four years, essentially. Yeah, exactly, right? You've got, yeah, three years and 11 months to do whatever the bloody hell you want. <laughs> and then, and then, like, you turn up and, and you've you've gone off it for a couple of weeks and then you get tested and you're like, yeah, I'm clean. And then it's like, well, okay, cool, wicked. Like, we can't prove that you're not, but everybody in the world thinks you're not. Um, I think it will go that way. I think, I think some of the, the governing bodies will start to bring them in. I think it'll be a very slow process because it's a very expensive process. Um, but I think we'll start to see it. I think there'll always be those which don't like, you know, like your, your fight to win, like Seth, uh, Seth Daniels, is it Daniels? Yeah, I think it's Daniels. He's, he's always said, he's like, yeah, I've done steroids. I still do them. Like it's, if people want to come and compete on my shows on steroids, cool. Like do what you want. And then like, and so there'll always be those rogue like promotions like pride used to be in the in, in in mma like you know take what you want it's cool we don't care but uberim and overim yeah exactly right yeah look at him now um but i think it would be really good for the sport like i'm i'm an advocate for anti-doping like i think like my my opinion on it has always been that i if i was ever to get to somewhere where i was a, a world champion or something i want to know that it's me that's done it not some magic pill and so I think a lot of athletes are in that same boat where they're, you know, they're they're honest and hardworking, and they they want to know that they've done the work to to get the goal, uh, to get the prize. Um, 
but there'll always be those who just want to win at all costs. You know, there's, there's always that person who I'll do whatever it takes to be world champion. Um, I think it would, I think it would be good for the sport because again, it's, it's that longevity piece. It's the whole thing about jujitsu is that it's a level, level playing field, right? Like it's the, the, the small person can beat the big person, the, the, the female can beat the male. So if we start adding in this extra complication, where, where, where does it go? I think it only goes, it only goes backwards and it only ends up being bad press. Yeah. And I mean, we, I mean, we might see this one day that if ever BJJ becomes an Olympic sport, then obviously it becomes involved in some form of anti-doping. But like you say, it's still, it's essentially a four, you get to cycle on four years. You just have to be smart with your process, don't you? You just have to know, I'm taking this substance, it takes six weeks to get out of my system and it can be detectable by blood, hair and urine. Cool, so I'll shave my head, I'll shave my face and I'll stop taking it six weeks before I go. And, you know, you can be problem solved. Um, it's it's the people who just do it willy nilly and don't really think about the consequences. And but anybody who's anybody that wants to do it and wants to be able to steal those advantages, they're going to do it the proper way and they're going to employ. You know, they're going to go full Icarus and employ somebody to to tell them what to take, when to take, it and when to stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's quite. It's well. It's such a controversial topic, isn't it? But it's it's an interesting one, and I think there's there's plenty of people out there competing in jiu-jitsu who do it, and if if that's your personal choice, then cool. But I think I personally like the level playing field. So, and I think it's in some ways it's quite easy to tell in terms of how much. Um, I remember talking with another SNC coach, Andrew Harwick. He says there's only a certain amount of stress the human body can handle. Yeah, and that's both mental and physical. So that can be, you know, you in the gym, your diet, whatever. If you're getting up at 3 a.m. to knock out a shoulder session, Gordon Ryan, um, and then and then sleeping a couple of hours and then going out and doing this and that and training and training and training and then doing that every day, there's only so yeah, your body needs time and sleep and energy to recover. There's only, you know, eating insane amounts of food isn't going to give you magic recovery like there are plenty of other things that the body needs yeah 100 percent. like the whole like if you're if if anybody out there listening is one of those people who's waking up in the middle of the night to drink a protein shake because they're trying to put on weight like that is literally the worst way you could go about doing it like you're, you're just screwing your body up even worse than than just wait sleep sleep is far more important than necking a protein shake at three o'clock in the morning like it yeah, sleep is the fundamental process for for all performance. Like if you're not sleeping well, you're you're doomed. You know, like it's that's when all the repair happens. That's when all of the important stuff happens to to the physical processes. So like, if you're you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to get an extra session and I'm going to train till eleven, but I've got to be up at five for work. Like, just don't train that session. You're going to do yeah. more harm than good. Just wait, get an extra, get those extra two three hours of sleep, and then actually perform to like closer to your best the next day when you turn up to your regular training session, like more isn't always better unless it's, I mean, even with sleep, like good quality sleep, like six good hours is better than nine crappy hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta think about those long-term process. Again, it's the longevity piece. If you're not sleeping well, you'll know about it pretty quick. And injuries happen far quicker. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, the, the stats out there on that, the research is insane. Like if you go from having eight hours to seven hours, there's, there's an X percent increase and it's quite staggering. Like you get to like the five or four or five hour range and like, you know, the, the rates are up through the roof and the amount of athletes I know who sacrifice sleep because they're trying to do more training. You're like, don't just, just sleep, just sleep. I think, I think it's so hard as an athlete to get out of the head, uh, the headspace that oh, shit, man, if I'm, if I'm, oh, I'm so behind, if I miss this one session, especially as a high level athlete where essentially it's like, you know, one plus one is two, you know, your techniques. Yes. So like most sessions are about refinement or like when you're sparring, if you took what is an hour of sparring out of weeks and months of training, that hour is kind of, it's tiny when you really think about it. Yeah. But it's so hard to not, I mean, I'm, you know, victim of it too, that it's so hard not to kind of consider, well, I, I, I've got to make that session, regardless of how essentially shit I feel. It's so hard to kind of get out of that mindset. Yeah, 100%. Like, like you said, we all f- fall victim to it. Like there's there's mornings I wake up, and I'm like knackered. You, you, it takes you ages to actually open your eyes. You're dragging your feet, and you're like, right, but I've got to go to training because it's, especially at the moment, like it's one of the only sessions I can get to because of the pod system and this, and I don't want to miss my session because then I won't get another one until Monday. And then, like, actually, you should just be like, no, if I'm this knackered, like my body's t- like my body's like this for a reason. The only thing I'm going to do is make myself worse. Like, like. You know, you might feel better after the session and all that kind of stuff. Like they always say, turn up and do your warm up and you'll feel fine. But like then again, what's that going to mean the next day? On the Saturday, you're going to yeah. feel like you're going to feel like crap, and then you're going to be a terrible person to be around for your, you know, your partner, your kids, your your friends, your family. Like if it, I I don't think even if you are a, a high level performing athlete, I think you've got to. There's bigger priorities than you know being being like all the time you know but yeah i think i think something that's quite interesting when when we're talking about kind of this and just kind of doping as well is that is that view of what an athlete is like it kind of goes back to that old school almost like olympian style like this is a human being who has kind of worked themselves and like to and whether depending on how they're built what the length of their limbs are like and just the natural makeup of them plus effort like how does that what's the potential of that and actually then when we look at doping athletes it's it's not as interesting anymore because it's like well you've kind of you've cheated the system essentially and it's kind of it's not as fun because it's there's no uh it's what makes sport interesting, isn't it? It's when we see like Mickey or Mikey, shall I say, Mushemi, like go and choke out heavyweights. Like, yeah, because he's really good at these things and they're really good at those things. And that's what makes BJJ interesting. And the same with kind of athletes in general. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the ongoing thing, isn't it? Like ultimately the reason we watch sport is because like, you want to see one team do better than the other team at, at the thing that you're watching. Like, you know, like, and, and ultimately it's, yeah, it's, it's the constant battle and anybody, anybody can be an athlete, you know, like, and, and anybody can do these things if they have the desire to. And are people some, are some people more like 
do have do they have more prerequisites to potentially be better than others? Yes, like that's genetics. If 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 you're struggling, then go back and change your mum and dad and see how that helps. But <laughs> it's yeah, you want to see the people love to watch the the guys who are the best at what they do. Like football, you look at people love Cristiano Ronaldo, they love Leonardo um, Lionel Messi, they love they used to love David Beckham, and why? Because they could produce these insane feats of skill time and time and time and time again. They were a very, very good practitioner at the thing they do. You look at rugby, you've got the Johnny Wilkinsons, the Jonah Lomus. It was the they were the very, very best at what they did. In American football, people always talk about Tom Brady or Odell Beckham Jr. Same thing. Brady can drop a ball on a pinpoint and Odell can pick anything out of the sky. And that's what it always gets drawn back to and in jiu-jitsu, like you say, you've got your your Mikey Musumeches and and your guys who are just like freak technical athletes. Like he's he's not he's not a freak athlete, but he's so so good technically, and that's where it gets interesting because you've got the David versus Goliath, and people love watching that. Um, and that's where you guys like Gordon, as much as we want to hate him because he's you know he's like potentially using him, he's a bit of a bell end, but like you can't help but watch because he's bloody good. Like you know, you, you can't you can't say he's not like you know one of the best out there. He's, he's such a good technical jujitsu player, and and then you know the same with like your Gal Vals and and whoever else you want to look at. Like yeah, is there a question mark over his head? Yes, but I'm still going to watch because his technique is like you know almost faultless. And that's yeah, that to me is is what sports about. It's watching those people who have put the time in to become the very very best at what it is that they do. And in terms of people that you look to personally, kind of whether that be in BJJ or kind of other sports or coaches, is there people that you look up to that come to mind that you're like, well, I guess you can separate the two are their athletes and then separately are there coaches that you kind of look up to? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, athletes wise, I've always admired the, the, the people who sort of fly under the radar, but like do all the work, you know? So in, in rugby, my favourite rugby player of all time is uh, Richard Hill. So he was a World Cup winner with the England 2003 team. He was a he was a flanker, and he was the only player to have never been dropped by the coach at the time, Clive Woodward. He never dropped him. If he was available, if he was fit, he was playing. And he never got like man of the match. He never received loads of plaudits, but he always had like the highest stats on the team. Most tackles, most carries. He just did all the work, and, and nobody really saw him do it. And it's those kind of people that I really like. Um, and it's the same now, like in, you know, you look at MMA and like Stipe Miocic, like he doesn't do anything outstandingly, but he's really, really good and he'll graft and he'll work his absolute nuts off until until the, the bell rings. It's those people I've always been fascinated by, like their, 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 their willingness to, to continue. Um, and then on the coaching side, like the, the guys... I look up to there again are kind of the old school ones. You know, there's I, I, as much I like um, like Phil Derue, like you know the kind of new school, and I like some of his approaches and all that kind of stuff. But looking more long term, it's, it's guys. There's a guy called Dan John. Um, and normally, I say don't trust someone with two first names. Um, <laughs> there's something weird about people with two first names. But um, this guy is the the exception to the rule, and maybe maybe Dom as well. Dom Dom's got two first. Names. <laughs> He can beat me up, so maybe I should say I like him as well. Um, but yeah, like Dan John is arguably one of the greatest strength coaches out there. Like, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who's an SSC coach who says they don't like his stuff. 
Like you, you, you speak to some of the highest, you hear the, the podcast with some of the, like the most well-known names in the industry and they're like, oh yeah, so like, who do you look up to? Nine times out of 10, they'll say Dan John. And he's just super simple, old school mentality, pick up heavy stuff, throw things far, sprint, jump, carry, and you'll be all right. Um, and yeah, it's had like a long-term effect on me. And I, I still, I go back and reread his books all the time just because if I feel like I'm, I'm overcomplicating things and getting a bit out of the way with all these random, all these random crap, I'll just go back and read his books and I'll be like, no, stop being an idiot. Just let's just lift the weights again. Okay. Well, so interesting the athletes you picked because Steve plays one of those ones where I also find quite fascinating because of what he does as his day job, which is a firefighter. Yeah. And something that, I don't think, you know, we look at athletes and some of the best athlete stories are they do this. They all, they, they work already whilst they're doing their kind of their athletic career. They've got these day jobs or they've kind of, they did this for X amount of years. People like, um, oh, why have I gone blank on his name? Uh, athlete who horrendously knocked out Alistair Overeem. Uh, Nganu. Nganu. Nganu was shoveling sand, I think it is, yeah. you know, and things like that. But something that's really interesting about people like that is also from a S&C background is they're doing uh, something, they're doing physical activity every day. And it's something that I don't think people talk about a lot. If you meet a lot of people who do BJJ as a kind of hobby, you'll find that the people who maybe perform slightly better, I'm not saying this is gospel, but are people who have physical jobs because have you ever rolled with a scaffolder no not yet god don't don't do it like they'll rip <laughs> your arms off they're so freakishly mutant strong it's actually scary um yeah 100 percent. like what you're saying like a laborer a, a bricky a, a, a chippy whatever like somebody who's up and on their feet and, and carrying stuff about all day there's something else about them um yeah it's weird isn't it yeah. And I think that's, and it goes back to kind of old school athletes is that old school, most athletes kind of when you look through history couldn't afford or, you know, like, I mean, still to, it's only kind of in the, maybe the past few decades that uh, being an athlete is paid, but realistically, like, and it's still not for all athletes, it doesn't. So like, there's always been the history of athletes having some sort of career outside of sport and so actually when you look at athletes who have some sort of physical activity on a daily basis um whether that builds strength or cardio whether they kind of i don't know they're a bicycle courier or a scaffolder or something like that it, it does add an element to who they are as a competitor yeah 100 percent. and there's that's where that's another reason for why why sport is so good because like every every person you come across is different and they've got different attributes. You know, you've got, and that's one of the reasons I absolutely love jujitsu. Like you can, it's such a, it's such an equalizer. You know, you could be rolling with somebody who like their day job is like you know. So say me, like I'm an S and C coach. I, I lift weights three or four times a week. I do jujitsu three or four times a week, and the rest of the time <clears throat> I'm teaching people how to lift weights and all that kind of stuff. I could be rolling with like somebody who works in IT and that IT person could like choke me out in two minutes. You know what I mean? And like, it's, it is absolutely fascinating and everybody has their own little story. And then, yeah, you've got your, your guys who are keen cyclists and 
they'll just run rings around you because their engine is is unstoppable. They just never get tired. Um, yeah. Please tell me this is a thing because this has been my kind of lockdown sport. Is that I've only just gone back to lifting, but cycling has been my new. I'm not going to say love because there's no way you're replacing BJJ, but like cycling has been the thing that I've done most days of the week. So I'm hoping that I'm going to have, I'm scared of my gas tank, whether it's going to be better, worse or okay when I go back to BJJ. I think it will still be a shocker, like in terms of your first couple of sessions will be terrible because ultimately nothing ever compares. You can go in feeling no fit as anything and then you'll do one round and you'll be blowing. But what you'll find I think is that you'll recover from session to session far quicker. So like in the session, you might be absolutely knackered because it's your first like rolling session back. But then like, the next day you'll be stiff and sore. And then the next day you'll feel fine. Like your recovery rate will be super, super improved because of all that like aerobic activity you've been doing. Um, and, and people like the, the really, really simple thing people give like the 10,000 steps a day thing. Like people say it's, yeah. much, but it's, it's not. And if you can do it out in nature, like it has a massive impact on your life. Um, it's something I factor into a lot of people's programs. I put it in as a daily thing, like go and do your walk and try and do it in nature. And they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, just like it will actually have a massive impact um, on your recovery rates and, and your aerobic and, and your mental health and well-being and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, you'll have to let me know how that how that does pay out with your payoff <laughs> with your cycling. Well, I'll have to try, uh, hopefully. Hopefully well, that's the only thing. Although the, the current plan is to then cycle home from training as well that'll be be spicy um so i'm 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 thinking uh a lot of pain for the first couple of weeks and then uh hopefully it just turns me into some mad uber athlete by the end of it all that's the plan anyway we'll see i reckon you're on to a winner absolutely (laughs) um so we kind of talked on your role models um is there any kind of particular motivations that you have going forward is there something that uh you know obviously you want the best results you can for your athletes but is there any personal motivations or goals that you want to hit um that's a great question uh i don't know like you said for the athletes it's just it's it's you know putting the preparation pieces in place for them as as best as i can you know giving them the tools to be able to do things themselves um and not being a dick in the process Uh, that's a big thing for me it's just like not not being, you know, it sounds really selfish and sounds really silly and something like a seven-year-old would say, but, you know, you want to be liked as a person. And so if you're, you know, if you're not doing the right things and that's, that's a terrible way to be, you don't want to be the person in the room that if everybody else is having a conversation, the one other person who's left isn't going to come and chat to you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, being a, being a good human and then just, like, continuing to build and continuing to see what's out there, like, of, of, you know, the the training I'm doing and the client base I've got is, is gradually growing, which is great. Um, and I, I really enjoy, I'm really fortunate to do something that I feel very passionate about for, for a job. It doesn't feel like work. Um, I think my wife would say something different because I'm on my laptop, but it seems like all day, every day writing programs or, or whatever, but it doesn't seem that way for me. And, and, and I feel very fortunate. So for me, it's just being able to continue uh, making a career out of something, which I don't think is work you know and do you think do you find that the more you your uh, the different sports for your clients uh, expand do you think that that uh, does one influence the other so if for example you've because i know you work with boxers you've got mma fighters and bjj fighters but 
um, aside maybe away from those combat sports, there are other sports now and you're going, well, actually this is working for, I'm going to pick one that come to mind but don't judge me for it because i'd never do it but if you had a golfer and you were like oh actually that's working quite well maybe i'll start to work that on other people and things like that yeah 100 percent. like you, you you pick things up and you try things with different people and you see what works and, and you you can you know correlate it across and try things with different people but and it's one of the good things about the online side of things is and with my main day job at the university that we've i work with loads of different athletes you know, so on, on, I've got, as you said, I've got boxers, MMA fighters, jiu-jitsu fighters. I've got um, a Paralympic equestrian athlete. I've got rugby. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. And, like, it's it's a complete, like, I've never worked with anybody like that before. Like, and it's, it's she has a, a, a specific, like, disability and that kind of stuff. And so having to be educated by her through the process of also educating her, like, it's a real back and forth. Um and then thinking about, yeah, how can you make that work? And then I've got rugby players. I've got guys who literally just want to get in shape. I've got guys who want to lose a considerable amount of body weight. I've got, you know, from everything in between. And then, yeah, how can you, how, how can that cross, like, you know, cross over? Like there's, there's loads of crossover. There's always loads of crossover because you do something with like a badminton player and you're looking at imp- improving like shoulder stability. And then you're like, oh, hang on. So-and-so just told me they got like a, a tweaked shoulder in a Kimura. Maybe I should build some of this into their program so their shoulders got a bit more, like it's a bit more rugged. And then likewise, a, a jiu-jitsu guy's like looking to get more explosive. I'm like, oh, maybe I should incorporate some of this with, with the badminton guy because he needs to be a bit more snappy. And, you know, yeah, there's always, you can always pull because the human body is, 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 is just a human body. So, like, it's, everything is, like, can be like, cross-correlated, I guess. Or transferable badminton and bjj right. the one yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so interesting that you talk about paralympians do jiu-jitsu that would be so entertaining <laughs> <laughs> so interesting that you uh talked uh, touched on kind of paralympians and something that i wanted to ask you was the variations when you're considering your athlete. So obviously there are specific uh, considerations you have to make to someone's disability, um, kind of what you've learned from that. But also, I guess, when it comes to different genders as well, when you're programming for four, 12, six, four, six, 12 or weeks or longer. um, So kind of female to male, obviously there are considerations that you have to make for female athletes. And so what has that been for you? Is there certain things that you've either had to learn or things that you always try and keep in mind with certain athletes? Um, it, yeah, it's a learning process on the job. Like, you know, you have to, again, every every athlete is different, but every female athlete is very, very different. Like, you know, the, there's there's so many considerations to take into place. If you're not, if you're not doing it, then they, they just, they can ultimately get crushed because, you know, there's, a you know, really blunt way of putting it, but basically, there's a week of the of the, of the month every month when they're just not themselves, and it's just the way it is. Like, cheers, cheers, science and evolution for doing that. Mm-hmm. But like, it's it's also it's not being afraid to have those conversations. Yeah, because like, if if from my point of view, if I find it really awkward to be like, oh, like, you know, when do you have your period, and like, how does that affect you? If I never ask that question, I could be putting them on like the hardest week of the program when they're feeling like absolute crap and that's no good for anybody. Like it's just, they're not going to be able to do it. 
they're going to get like potentially in a bad mental state because of that, because they feel like they should be able to do it, but they can't. And so it's just, yeah, taking, don't be a teenage boy about it. Like (laughs) you're allowed to say the P word. It's okay. Like you're you're allowed to ask questions about the menstrual cycle and, and about feelings and about emotions and that kind of stuff. Like, again, the more, you know, the better you can do. Um, the more you know the athlete, the yeah, the, the better you can prepare them, and, and the better the better the conversations get. And when the conversations get better, everything else improves because yeah, exactly. they need to trust you. If you ask those questions, they trust you with the information. Um, kind of goes back to what you said. It's it's a pe- as much as it's a strength and conditioning job. It's also a people job. Yeah, and you have you have to talk to people. A hundred percent, and that's where like. Uh, I go off on I go off on rants about it all the time on my Instagram about like the difference between like some trainers and some coaches and whatever and like, we won't go down that rabbit hole because otherwise we'll be on for another hour. But like ultimately we're not there to count reps. Like yes, I can count to ten. Wicked, good job. But so can a person who's doing the thing themselves. So like instead of counting that or filming their shit on your phone, like um, actually pay attention to them. Ask them the important questions. How how did that feel? Like how heavy was it? Um, what do you think you could have done better, could have done worse? I noticed this. Did you notice that? I actually pay attention. And then the, there's a load of stuff in SNC at the moment. Like it's been around for a while. It's not new, but like around wellness, about like, you know, people using like those Omega Wave things and, and whoop straps where they're testing how well recovered they feel and they're doing heart rate variability and all this cool stuff. And they've probably listened to Joe Rogan and, and figure they know it all. But like, the best way you can test whether somebody is ready is have a conversation with them when they walk in the room. Watch them when they walk in the room if you're doing a one-to-one. Is their head facing the floor? Are they shuffling their feet? Are they sighing? Are they grunting? Then maybe it's not the right day to go go heavy and push them really hard. If they walk in the room, they're bouncing off the wall and they're going absolutely bonkers, maybe that's the day. You you have to gauge it and, and just saying like, hey, mate, how you doing today? Like Their response to that question could tell you absolutely everything you need to know about whether it's a good day to push or whether it's a day to hold back. And it's if you don't ask that question, if you're not being a human, if you're just being like, I don't know, a dictator of sorts, I guess, just being like, here's your program, do it. Like you're doing them a disservice, in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it it's the kind of thing where it uh, more and more coaches are now talking about mental health with their athletes as well and kind of that leans into the wellness part as well as as much as like how are you sleeping did you sleep well last night it's also you know oh, all things good there, there's that weird line where obviously you don't want the classic maybe uh pervy coach like tell me about yourself i'm hitting on you but you also do like if someone's maybe having a hard time outside of the gym it's similar to BJJ where like if someone's having a hard time in the gym, then although they may want to, you know, have a hard session, that's fine. There's also that kind of thing of maybe they don't, or maybe they're not going to be able to perform as well. And actually maybe berating someone for, you know, not performing as hard as they, as well as they can is not to anyone's benefit. Yeah. hundred percent. There's a time and a place, isn't it? It's like, it's like, you know with the whole like discussion around banter like you know it's banter good it's banter bad whatever like ultimately depending on the day like some some days people might be you know coming back with little quick weird things you know straight away and others they just like just tail the f off and and everybody has bad days absolutely everybody has bad days and that's fine but it's it, again it's accepting that and knowing that it's okay to have those days and then 
as a coach, yeah, like like taking that on board. Like if you if you don't know that they're having a bad day, you're just going to make their day worse. And what's wrong with having a conversation? Again, it comes down to us potentially like being being uncomfortable in those situations. Like what? Like maybe I won't ask them if it's okay because what if they say no? And then I have to be like, oh well, what's wrong? And you know, they get all like people get really flustered about it, and especially Brits because we're weird. But <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with asking someone if they're okay, and if they say no, just put yourself in their shoes and, and like, you know, what kind of response would you want from that? Would you want me to be like, oh, uh, well, yeah, do you warm up, or do you want me to be like, okay, what's up? Like, is there anything you want to talk about? Do you like, you know, are you happy to share? And because then again, it just builds even more trust, and and it's those relationships that matter. Because, like, uh, yeah, you can be the best coach in the world, but if you're a dick, like, it doesn't matter. You can be the best jujitsu like athlete in the world, the best sparring partner for if you need a mad round, but if they're not willing to come to you and, and go for a coffee when they feel bad, then you know that's, that tells you something as well. Yeah, it goes back to, do you want to be a good human being or just like really good at one thing? Right, 100%. And I think being a good human being is, is number one on the priority list or, or potentially should be. So uh, one last question before we go on to um, a quick fire round, if you will. And it's something that just, you spoke about it and I'm really intrigued now is how do you, uh, for, um, para, para athletes, if you will, across different sports, especially BJJ. Like I, I really find it fascinating about how people adapt their disabilities to fit, to fit around their BJJ styles. But how, as a coach, when you're looking at, um, someone who, um, has a particular disability, whether that be kind of, um, a limb that may not work correctly or visual, whatever. Um, how do you go about kind of considering that? Is there uh, kind of added, is there kind of things that you'll work around or is it just things that you'll kind of put aside? Like what, how do you go about that journey, if you will? A bit of both. So ultimately, again, it comes down to the uncomfortable conversation in the first instance. So with the, um, with the para equestrian athlete I work with currently, um, I literally said to her, I was like, you've written down what grade this is in the sport. I was like, I don't know what that means. And yeah. Googling it. Can you, can you tell me, like, can you talk me through it? Can you talk me through like, like what it is? What are the limitations? What do you have to work around? Like, how does it impact your daily life and how might it impact you with your training? And then, cause again, if I just like assume I know everything about it, I probably don't like Google's not going to tell you everything. Um, and so, yeah, having those conversations and then adjusting on the fly. So, like in in her case, she has limited use of her of her left arm, and so it's instead of doing like a barbell bench press, like she needs to work on her upper body to be able to control the horse. So we have to work on her upper body strength. But instead of doing instead of a bench press, scrap that. Instead of doing <laughs> a barbell bent over row, we mm -hmm. do single arm rows because then she can use a heavier weight with her more capable limb. And she can use a lighter weight and really work on control and coordination with her with her left. Um, and again, like looking at it from a really long term perspective of like not gonna like you know get her back to full usage or whatever. Don't think you're gonna be Superman. Like just get her to a point where things become more comfortable, things become more competent, and then hopefully that has a long term effect. And similarly, I work with I don't know how you did this. You must be some kind of mind reader. But one of the other like para athletes I work with is visually impaired. 
I know. I don't know how you did that. That's weird. We didn't even talk about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she's a she's a visually impaired goalball player, which it's kind of like a a, a different version of handball. Uh, okay. And so, like saying to her, she was like telling me about it. I was like, right. So, what's your role in the game? Like, I don't. I haven't really paid that much attention to. It. I did a bit of YouTubing and and that. And I was like, so how did like. What do your movements look like? How how does it impact you? What actually are the problems with your vision? Again, she told me what the what the diagnosis was, but what does that mean? Like, how is it for her? Because there's different grades, and and you know, for her, it's like she struggles with some peripheral. So, making sure that when we're training together, there's not loads of people around that are potentially going to bump into her because she might not see them. Mm. Things like when I'm handing her a dumbbell saying like I'm holding a dumbbell in front of me, like take it from me rather than just like giving it to her because she might not necessarily see it. Um, and yeah, just, just really little things and then just working around it um, depending on what the needs are. So, um, you know, just, just taking, doing a general needs analysis of the sport and, and figuring out, right, what do they need? Do they need to be stronger, fitter, faster? Do they need to be more resilient to injury or this kind of stuff? And then how can I do that working around the problems that they have or working with the problems that they have depending on the situation it also means on a lighter note it just means that you i can essentially i could take you to any game of any sport and you've more than likely like six seven eight times out of ten you you know the rules already or you know how how the sport works because you've you've had to learn it yeah i mean it's it's one of the one of the things like when somebody comes in they've they they say a sport that you've not heard of before you're like oh okay <laughs> time you know you like you go and you, you do a little bit of research and it can be really interesting it's one of the perks of the job you know with working in the university structure like it's not just it's not just rugby anymore it's not just combat sports with the guys i work with personally but like yeah badminton football cycling shooting archery fencing diving uh weightlifting powerlifting rugby hockey like uh, yeah there's, there's more but that's just people i'm working with now <laughs> yeah it's it's mental it's absolutely mental but it's because it's, it's it's fun it's challenging it keeps it fresh rather than just the same old crap day to day i'd love to see kind of all of those people kind of trying each other's sport like i'd love to see the diver suddenly jump into a gi and have that have a go at that and then the jujitsu athlete see how good he is at diving it's like that the one thing I found from all of this is that if there's a sport, if if you ever if you ever have like a young family and kids and whatever, like the the anything that's remotely gymnastics, so actually gymnastics, diving, um, those kinds of things, they have a massive massive carryover to the rest of sports. Like our diver and our gymnast, you can ask them to do something and they just go, you know, they it's just done and it's done perfectly and they could have never done it before because they have such a ridiculous good control of their body. And they know where their limbs are at all times. Um, whereas you ask a rugby player to like jump up and and like you know land on their toes, and they'll land on their heels. They just don't always get it. But yeah, gymnasts and 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 divers and those kinds of athletes just they're they're something else. They are the most athletic type of athletes, in my opinion. You must be a mind reader as well, because that was the most amazing segue because literally one of my quick fire questions was if any kid should do any sport as like a base what should it be yeah 100 percent, mate gymnastics get them into gymnastics but don't like yeah i think not a really old school one because then they'll just be beaten down they'll never grow um yeah gymnastics is the one i think you learn so much from understanding your own body 
Yeah. And there's something about, like you say, being able to do anything, but having a certain level of control over your body and physical capability to do pretty much anything, if you will. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's kind of, I, I am, I kind of like see gymnasts as kind of, uh, smaller, more supple versions of like wrestlers. Like they're kind of the same and kind of different variations. Like if like they're Pokemon, like this is really geeky of me, but like one's like the big chunky evolution and the other one's like the lighter version. Yeah. Cause they're both quite supple, both like as strong in across the board. It's not, they can't be good at one thing. Yeah. They can't be like really unfit, really strong. They have to be all of the things. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you have to be, you have to be very, very versatile as an athlete and very good at all of those different elements. Um, yeah, wrestling would probably be actually another really good shout for like an early doors thing to get into because it's so varied. Um, I feel like gymnastics is probably the uh, safer physical yeah. option. <laughs> yeah, less concussion risk. That's for sure. It's more likely that you're going to convince like an everyday mum and dad on the street that yeah. they're going to they send their kids to be uh, gymnastics over wrestling. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's definitely, yeah, it would be a much easier conversation to have, wouldn't it? Okay, so um, as you've stolen one of my questions, um, there's uh, that's all right. I thought of another one, so we'll move on to the quick fire. So the first one is uh, in terms of warming up for BJJ or kind of sport in general. If you've got the classic kind of jogging around the mat, arms forwards, arms backs, or that kind of thing, or like what you sometimes see in wrestling, which is like essentially having a game of basketball to warm up, what one are you going to pick? Oh, um, probably a game of basketball. Yeah, is that is that kind of as a fun thing or uh, both fun and in terms of warming up your body is better? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. So yeah, you, you get the fun element out of it, and because people are having fun, they're more likely to like move around more, and then they're in a better mood for the training session. And if they're in a better mood, they'll take in information better. But yeah, like if you're playing a game of pickup basketball, they're going to be moving, they're going to be getting warm, and you can just like mix in some other bits in between it. Like you know, every time somebody scores, you have to I don't know. If it's jujitsu, you have to you have to do like a shoot or a sprawl or a, or whatever. You know, you can make it interesting. But I think everybody gets bored of running around the mats and swinging their arms, don't they? So yeah, yeah. Some people just don't warm up. Some people just get you just you just get told like I've been to gyms where they've said you do your own warm up before the class. Like you get on the mats five minutes, ten minutes early, and you crack on. If you don't want to do one, don't do one. But I, to your detriment, I quite like that approach because then people can do what they feel is necessary like yeah. um and then then the purple belts will turn up 10 minutes after that you're fine don't know what you're talking about <laughs> we turn up on time every time yeah um so uh nice and quick one acai yay or nay yay yay all the all the trimmings yeah chuck me some granola on top of that and i'm oh yeah i, I like it it's good gold you're golden um we've you've kind of touched on this because you said that the farmer's walks would be one of the lifts that everyone should be doing one of the but there were five things that you said um you don't have to name the other the rest of the four but if there was one the next thing that you add to that list what would it be um i'll give you a few so farmer's walks would be absolute number one chin-ups would be in there because they're just a great strength developer and if you can't do a chin-up then i don't think you can call yourself an athlete uh, chin up or pull up 
I pull up his uh, pull up his overhand. So where your yeah. palms are facing away from you and chin ups is underhand where your palms are facing towards you. Um, uh, personally, I prefer chin ups, but that's probably because they're easier for me. Because <laughs> um, I'm I'm big and lumbering and, and heavy. Um, I don't I don't see there's there's massive difference. To be fair, if anybody has a personal preference, just do what you prefer. Um, my other one would be a kettlebell swing because it just it hits a little bit of everything. It's kind of explosive. It'll build some strength and it'll protect your hamstrings, which if you do leg locks in your gym is a very good thing to have strong hamstrings. Nice. That's something I've never thought of actually is, uh, and, and now I'm going to, next time I'm in the gym, I'm definitely going to start doing some kettlebell swings. Yeah, do it, mate. 50 a day and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, what's your favorite way to relax? Um, coffee and brunch. Nice. Like classic avocado and toast. Uh, or... Pancake stack. Yes, I like it. Yeah. Peanut butter between each layer yeah. as well. Just magic. And crispy bacon. <laughs> um, uh, so we'll go favorite technique Ooh. for BJJ. A favorite technique? Um, uh, smash pass nice <laughs> I can't, you can't tell what gym you're from at all not at all yeah oops <laughs> um favorite bit of advice you've ever got from someone um don't break any don't break any uh branches on the way up the tree because you don't know which one you need to grab on the way down damn that is a great analogy who is that from my dad that's that is a great great analogy um goal for twenty twenty one or goals uh. um oh, wow um oh I don't know goals for twenty twenty one uh stop getting so angry when I'm driving <laughs> can that can that be one I really need to yeah. work on that i'm I'm such a road rage driver it's really bad. The thing is, is sometimes like, I think it also comes down to what day it is. Like what literally like I can be in days where I'll be like, yeah, all right then pal. And some days where I just get so frustrated with people. Yeah. I think I'm the same to be fair. Some days I'm just like, you know what? It's not worth it. I was like, <laughs> ah, what are you doing? Get off the road. Oh yeah. I need to work on that. It's, it's, it causes me too much stress than it's worth. <laughs> You don't want those grey hairs. Oh, I've already got plenty. Thankfully, this camera angle's doing me some justice. But yeah, there's <laughs> grey hairs in there. Don't you worry. Um, and uh, everyone's favourite question and the final question is: if you could have a movie made, uh, if you if someone were to play you in a movie, who would it be, and what move? What kind of movie would it be? Uh, it would probably be. Oh, what's his name? Um. Oh, I've completely forgotten his name. The guy um, who plays Cal Norton Jr. in uh, Talladega Nights. Oh, Kurt wait. One who's always in Will Ferrell movies. Yes, uh, Cal Norton Jr. Oh, come on. No, apparently the Cal Norton Jr. <laughs> Screw it. It's, this is my podcast. I decide the rules. <laughs> so I Googled it and it came up with uh, Urban Dictionary. Oh, no. 
and uh, it uh, the Cal Norton Juniors when you uh, I'm going to put this nicely make love to someone uh, who has passed out mostly due to severe inebriation Jesus Christ <laughs> and that's taken on a new meaning uh, John C. Riley that's John C. Riley that's it. curly head you don't you don't have the voice though no I don't uh, thankfully, thankfully he's got the he's got the fold in his forehead like I do uh, <laughs> I reckon he'd play me quite well I think it would be a comedy because I love uh, comedy is my favourite type of movie so yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, what's the, f- as a kind of off question, what's uh, your favorite comedy? Uh, oh, it would probably be, uh, yeah, it's probably Step Brothers. Classic. I love that film. Or Baseball. I love Baseball as well. That's a banger. I haven't seen that. I'll have to give that. A yeah. Go. I think it's on Netflix at the moment. It's really, really, it's the, the guys who created South Park. Oh, okay. Then it's 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 already a winner. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's it's really weird but hilarious. Okay, so John C. Riley in uh in some sort of kind of yeah, some sort of goofy comedy. Yeah, comedy about a strength and conditioning coach who see it going wrong at all. <laughs> who gets it could be a comedy about a strength and conditioning coach who gets angry in cars. Yeah, I think he'd play that perfectly. To be fair, I think yeah, I can too. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it was a real pleasure and a real learning experience actually as well. So uh, hopefully a lot of people can uh, draw some things for this. Um, where can they uh, check you out if they want to get in contact with you? Yeah, so easiest places, um, the easiest place is Instagram, which is just Rob underscore Nitman. Um, and then website is nitmanperformance.co.uk. So if they go to either of those, the website directed to the Instagram, the Instagram will direct you to the website. So yeah, go to one of those and you should be able to find me. Cool. Check it out people. And uh, we'll see you next time.